today's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 15, it's verse 11 through 32, and Jesus continues to teach in parables, and this parable is the parable of the lost son. So these words come direct from the lip, through the lips and from the mouth of Jesus. Thank you, our Savior. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a different, distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this, brother's of, you, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Thank you, Gary. Good morning, everybody. And uh, let me add my own welcome to that which Neil's already given. My name's Adam. I'm vicar here at St. Jude's. It's great uh, to be with you, to be worshipping together at the beginning of this new term. Over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be thinking about the three vision goals that we have as part of our new vision at St. Jude's. Uh, and so this week, we're particularly thinking about growing faith. Next week, we'll think about offering hope. 
And then the following week, we'll think about sharing God's love together. Uh, Before we do all of that, um, I would like to pray for us as we look at this passage and think about faith. Uh, Rather unusually, I wonder if you're able, if you would stand with me uh, as we pray together. Would you just stand uh, as we prepare to think about God's word? And let's pray together. I want us to stand and just come before God afresh, having heard those words, as Gary said, come from the mouth of Jesus. Lord, we praise you for your son. Hebrews 11 says that faith is confident in, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about those things which we do not see. Lord God, help us to have confidence in the hope that you give us and assurance in what we do not see. As we come before you afresh this morning, would you minister to us through your word? Would you help us to know that you are here? And would you speak to us afresh through it? Lord, we are no longer slaves, but are your children. Meet with us. Just hold a moment in the quiet and ask the Lord to meet with us individually in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're welcome to sit down again. I'm going to begin this morning by asking you a question or two. In a moment, we're going to put a statement on the screen. And what I'd like you to do is to give that statement a score somewhere between one and six. I'm not going to ask you to tell me the score that you give this statement. You're not going to have to share it with anybody else. Um, and so, I, But I really want you to, to do this. It's really important that you do. Uh, and be completely honest with yourself as, as you do so. Uh, so number one, if you score it a one, a low score of one means you don't agree with this statement. And number six means that you fully 100% agree with it. Is that okay? Make sense? Okay, let's put the statement on the screen. Thank you, Nigel. So the statement is, I firmly believe that God will work even more powerfully in our church in the coming years. I'd like you just in a moment of silence to score yourself on that statement between one and six. You don't need to tell anyone, just for yourself. Okay, I'm going to assume that you have a score. I'm going to ask you a second, very, very similar question. That will come on the screen now. I firmly believe that God will work even more powerfully in my life in the coming years. Note that question. Note the score that you give yourself for that question as well. It may be the same. It may be different. Okay. Thanks, Nigel. Then go off the screen. The first of those statements comes from a body of research by uh, Christian Schwartz, the Natural Church Development. All right, we'll come back to that later. Thank you. Um, comes from Natural Church Development, basing 
an, an understanding of what a healthy church looks like. It's one of 92 questions that this research asks church leaders to ask the congregation. Uh, and there are all sorts of different questions within it. And it's a way of quantitatively measuring how healthy the church is. So if I did ask you to tell me the score that you gave that statement, I'd be able to work out somewhere where we were as a church, a thermometer gauge of where we are in a church on that and the other 91 uh, statements. I've done uh, my dissertation at undergraduate when I was at, at theological college on this entire uh, body of work, this idea of healthy churches and if it's any good. Uh, and one of the things that I did as part of that was to do some qualitative research behind it. So I met with individuals that had completed the survey and then I said, why did you give it that score? What were the reasons behind you saying that or this for whichever of the questions? This question particularly struck me because both in Nailsey, where I was at college, and in Leamington, where I was for uh, Curacy, where we did this survey again, on both occasions, this question scored the lowest of all of the 92 questions that we asked uh, both congregations. That means that both of those congregations, generally speaking, sensed that the Lord was not, in their minds, going to work more powerfully in their church in the coming years. And I found that really interesting. And it'd be interesting, I'm not, as I say, not going to ask you today what your answer to that question would be. It'd be interesting to find out at some point. Largely, the groups of people I asked were in groups of three. What, those that chose one or two, those that chose three or four, and those that chose um, five or six. When I asked those that chose one or two why they chose one or two, they were in two groups of people. Either they had been people who had seen a massive move of God's Spirit at some point in their lives. So maybe they were part of the Wimber movement, or maybe they'd seen the Billy Graham uh, movement going around, and they'd seen that at some point in their past, and they couldn't see that God was going to move as powerfully in the future as he had done in the past. So that was one group of people that chose one uh, or two for this question. The other group of people had had some sort of personal tragedy in their lives. So maybe they'd seen some sickness that they'd prayed for, uh, or maybe somebody they knew had died, uh, and uh, they'd been praying for that person and hadn't seen God at work in their prayers, prayers, and as a consequence, it had diminished what they believed God was able to do in their lives. There may well be all sorts of other reasons. There were lots of other reasons as well uh, when I did this research, but those were the two main groups of reasons. Here it may be because you don't really like the new vicar and you haven't got much hope in what he's going to be doing if you chose one or two. The next group of people, those that chose three or four, again, largely fell into one of two groups. Firstly, it was people who were a bit unsure. They'd sort of like to think that God was going to move more powerfully in the future, but they couldn't uh, be certain. They hadn't seen much of that in the past. Or the other group of people just simply couldn't imagine what it was that God moving more powerfully might look like. 
By far the smallest group of people were those that chose five or six in response to this question. And there were largely three groups of people who chose five or six. There was a very small number of people who were quite prophetic and felt like the Lord had said something to them about what he was planning to do in that church in the future. There was a smaller number of people as well who were part of the leadership of the church, who held the vision for the church and believed that God was speaking to them through that vision and were excited about what he was going to do next. And then there was a slightly larger group, the largest group of this section of people who were largely a little older. They understood something of God's heart and had seen a number of the moves of God's spirit at work and they were just expecting another one to be around the corner. What has any of that got to do with growing faith? What has any of that got to do with our passage for this morning? It's a really well-known passage, isn't it? It's one that we'll have heard before if we've been in churches. We'll have probably heard somebody speak about in the past. It's not, in fact, the passage I originally planned to speak on this morning, but I believe the Lord uh, wanted me to do so. It's titled, as Gary said, The Parable of the Lost Son. That's the title that's in all of the English translations of the Bibles, uh, and it's the, tr the title that was given by those that translated it, as it's not in the original Greek. And I think it shouldn't be the parable of the lost son. I think it should, in fact, be the parable of the two lost sons, because both sons are lost in this parable. The first one, quite obviously, he doesn't want to follow his father's ways. He wants to make his own way in life. But the second son is not as obviously lost, but he is just as lost. Tim Keller in uh, this book, The Prodigal Prophet, he's an American author and theologian, says this. The older brother doesn't obey his father out of love, but only as a way of putting his father in debt. Neither son trusts the father, both try to find ways of escaping his control, one through obeying all of the father's rules and the other through disobeying them. Now in this story, we have three main characters, don't we? We have the younger son, we have the older son and the father. And I'd like to take just a little bit of time to explore those in turn. Now, don't worry, I recognize I've been talking for about 10 minutes now, and I've just come to the end of uh, my introduction. Don't worry, I just want to spend a couple of minutes thinking about each of these characters in turn. Let's think about the younger son for a moment. He's often related to the non-Christians of this world, those who don't yet know Jesus, or those that have run away from God in some way or another, have known him in the past and have run away from him. I wonder if we can see some of his behavior in our own actions. Perhaps we sometimes shy away from opportunities to engage further with God. Maybe we've stopped trusting God. Maybe even we've forgotten him. Are we in danger of being so insistent on finding our own ways that we might miss God's way? Remember the letter to the church in Ephesus that we looked at right at the beginning of term, at the beginning of the year. You have forgotten the love you had at first. I wonder when we thought about that passage, whether you were challenged by that and yet didn't change. 
I wonder if you would enter with me into this story for a moment. To the point in the story just before the younger son returns to his father. And imagine that we are with the younger son in that pigsty and we ask that younger son the same question I asked of you at the beginning. We asked him to score between one and six if he firmly believes that God will work even more powerfully in his life in the coming years. What do we think he might say? Of course, we've got uh, no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't that lower one or two that he scored it. He's experienced great wealth, great security. He's experienced some exciting times more recently. He can now only imagine returning to the role of his father's servant. As he approaches his father, as the story goes on, he has no idea what his father has in store for him. Let's think for a moment about the older son, often related to the Pharisees or the keepers of the law. But again, I wonder if we can see some of our own behavior in his actions. Do we much prefer to have control and order in our lives? Are we only comfortable with doing things at our pace rather than at God's pace? Is our relationship with God in danger of being in any way transactional? If I do this, then God will owe me this, I wonder. Are we in danger of limiting God by what we think he can or will do? What are our attitudes to worship? What are our attitudes when we come to church? Are we holding ourselves back in any way? Let's place ourselves into the story again and ask this time, as, ask the son as he's so angry at the actions of his father. Again, we ask him to score himself on this question. Do you believe that God will work even more powerfully in your life in the future? What might he say? Again, we don't know. But maybe it might be that three or that four that we had. He's going to be confused, unsure, unable to see what the father is up to, not able to predict what this means for his future. He has, importantly, now a lack of control over the situation. Let's think about the father in the story then, lastly. Clearly, this is meant to be God in this story. Always loving, always looking to welcome the son back. Always hoping, always welcoming. Paul tells us repeatedly in the New Testament that God lives in us. So I wonder if there's something of the Father's heart in our actions as well. If we go into the story and ask the father at any point this same question and ask him to score it between one and six, I imagine the father, by which I mean the actual father and not God, the father is almost certainly a high five or a six, isn't he? He clearly knows what God is going to do through him and his family into the future. But note that the father's role isn't a passive one. Firstly, he's always looking for his children. 
is running to them. If we have this father's heart in us, are we on the lookout for God's children in the wilderness? One of the things that's prayed over those of us who are ordained um, is a prayer called the ordinal. Uh, and I've, I've often quoted this because I don't think it's just for those of us who wear a dog collar. I think it's actually for the whole of God's church. This is another section of it, which is part of the role of a priest. To search for God's children in the wilderness of this world's temptations and to guide them through its confusions that they may be saved through Christ forever. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read that again. We are to search for God's children in the wilderness of this world's temptations and to guide them through its confusions that we may be saved through Christ forever. That is the Father's heart for all of his children to be living out that call. But it's not the only thing the Father does. Secondly, he's very quick to forgive, isn't he? When others hurt us or let us down, are we equally quick? He's also willing to challenge, be it ever so gently, the behavior of the older son. And he's wanting to share the kingdom with all. I actually suspect it will depend very much on how your day is going, how your week is going, where you scored those questions at the beginning. I suspect there are times in all of our lives when we may relate to one or more of the characters in this story at different points. We may have a tendency uh, to live uh, according to our own plans and according to our own behaviors and then suddenly kind of feel a little bit wayward and so start developing lots of different structures and things to try and keep us a bit more ordered uh, and they suddenly go, they eventually go out of the window. Or maybe we have the opposite tendency. We're more have more of a tendency to strict rules and order. But then we know there are some areas of our lives that are not under uh, God's rule and reign, that we're not giving to him. Maybe we're good at forgiving other people, but we're not particularly good at being hopeful for what God has got planned for the future. Or maybe the opposite. We're good at being hopeful for the future, but not particularly good at, help, at being for, uh, forgiving of others. What's the main point I'm trying to get across? Well, as I've been preparing this passage, in fact, over the last couple of months, some verses that were on the screen right at the beginning from Haggai have been playing around in my mind. Nigel, I wonder if we could have them back on the screen. I actually shared these at the beginning of uh, the first New Wine evening, back in uh, July it was. Haggai 2 says in a moment this, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. Now, as I shared this back in July, I shared a strong sense, which I still hold, that God wants to speak this, not just to us as a church, but to individuals as members of this church. He has got plans still to work more powerfully in each of our lives in the future than he has in the past. He hopes that we will believe him in that, I think. And as we as individuals do that, we as a church will see the glory of this present house 
being greater than the glory of the former house. Now, there will be some here who don't believe me when I say that. Maybe you don't think it's for you. Maybe you think uh, that God can't use you. Perhaps you think you're too old or too sinful. Perhaps you think you don't have the right skills. Or quite frankly, maybe you just think you're too tired. But there are two undeniable, at least two undeniable truths about God in this passage which we cannot ignore. Firstly, God's extravagant, unquestionable welcome for all. And secondly, his transformational restoration for those who will receive him. We see his extravagant and unquestionable welcome and his transformational restoration for all who receive. I've been using the Jesus Storybook Bible in our all-in services over the last few weeks. It says this about uh, this particular passage. Jesus told people this story to show them what God is like and to show them what they are like so that they could know however far they ran, however well they hid, however lost they were, it wouldn't matter because God's children could never run too far or be too lost for God to find them. God's children can never run too far or be too lost for God to find them. What about us then, I wonder? Well, if we initially scored those questions quite low, perhaps we might find it helpful to spend a little bit of time thinking about why we did that. Maybe you could ask both questions and work out what it is about those two questions that made you score them low. But really, all the analysis under the sun is just like the time the son spends in that pigsty preparing his speech for his father or the time that the older son spends outside of the party being angry about the situation. They may have thought it helped them, but really there was just one thing that both of them needed to do, and that was simply to go to Jesus. So if there is any part of our lives that are lost if we're allowing parts of our lives to be out of his will, or if we're trying to control them ourselves, the answer is simple. We need to go to Jesus with them. But I said a moment ago that there are parts in most of our weeks and our days and maybe even our months when we don't feel like that. There are parts when we feel very connected to God. And what about those of us in the room that chose a five or even a six to both of those questions? Does that mean we've got an easy day today? We can go and have an ice cream later and not worry? Remember I said that the role of the father was not a passive one. He was always looking for the lost. He was always forgiving. He challenges, be it ever so gently, and he's always longing to share the kingdom with others. On days or hours or weeks or months or years, when we feel close to God and we know him close to us, this is our calling. There are days, I think, in all of our lives when, uh, when we won't feel like that. 
Uh, I've been in the leadership of churches for about 10 years now and been involved in pastoral difficult, pastorally difficult situations for almost all of that time. Even as an operations manager at Christchurch, I was involved in some pastoral situations there that were quite difficult. But just in the last couple of weeks or so, I've had some new and very difficult pastoral situations to deal with in my role here. That's been okay, uh, but it's not been overly easy. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to share the details of those, and the details of them aren't really that important. What's important is the effect that it has had on my own faith. They've allowed me to slip maybe to a four or maybe even a three in if I were to score myself. I've been hurt that these situations have occurred, confused about what to do, and unable to control the situation, maybe even at times angry that the situations have happened in the first place. On uh, Monday evening this week, uh, Jess and I sat down uh, for an extended time of quiet with the Lord, and I picked up my journal, and literally an email, I keep a few emails in the back of it that I've received over the months, uh, an email fell out onto the floor. It's one that I haven't uh, read since it was written, back on the 4th of October last year, uh, by a member of St. Paul's, just as we were leaving. I want to read you just part of the email. He said, I had a real sense as I prayed for you this morning that God intends to grow your pastoral gifting when you arrive in Southsea. I did have a feeling that after a few months, maybe seven or eight, it would be extremely tested and strengthened with a particularly difficult time. But the encouragement is that those rivers will never overwhelm you. I read that for the first time in seven or eight months with a mixture of shock and excitement and joy. God had said those words to this faithful person all of that time ago, knowing what was going to happen, knowing the outcome, and knowing that I simply need to remain faithful. Now, beyond the encouragement that that was to me personally, this is a good example, I think, of what I'm trying to get at. This person, who I'm glad to say continues uh, to pray for me, is doing this work of the Father. He's listening to God and he's sharing with others what he is saying. He's bringing, in this case, me from the three or the four that I was at the beginning of the week back to the five or the six where God longs for me to be. So let's pray that on days when we feel lost, when we feel like God is absent, or when we're trying to control him, that either we will have the good grace to run back into his arms, or that someone else will point our eyes to him. And let's pray on those days when we feel connected to him, that our faith levels are high, that we will look out for others as well, and call them to be closer to him. This journey of growing faith is not one that any single one of us will complete this side of glory. To quote Joyce Mayer, I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord that I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord I'm not where I was. Let's pray together. Actually, as we do, would you stand with me again? Thank you.
as we ask the Lord to speak to us in this time of response, I wonder what the challenge for you is in this. Where are you on that scale of faith? Where are you today in your expectation of what God is going to do in and through you? Where are you in your relationship with the Father God who always calls each of us back to himself? And more importantly, what are you going to do as a result? If your faith levels are high, who are you going to encourage? Or whose eyes are you going to help turn back to Jesus? If you're feeling angry, confused, tired, or lost, what are you going to do in order to return to him? We thank you, Lord God, that you use each of us and that you long to use each of us in ways that we cannot even at this stage imagine. Just before the service, someone had a picture of broken vessels. And you may know that um, in some cultures they use gold to repair vessels. It is God's work in our brokenness that reveals him. Someone else sensed a huge wind upon us. And the question, how can you contain this? And what is it? It is the Lord's glory. He doesn't long for us to control him, but to be open to his moving and power. Lord God, for those days when we are more like the older brother, angry because things aren't going the way we want them to, would you help us to trust you? For those days when we're like the younger brother, more intent on doing our own thing than doing your thing. Would you help us to trust you? And would you bring us to your kingdom, to your power? And would you move afresh in as we pray? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.